The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 6. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Well, it is Stewardship Sunday, and we are all invited to consider in our relationship with the church and with one another and with others how we are doing in living our lives faithfully as what the Bible does call good stewards. Now, if that word steward isn't in your playbook, you can substitute the word manager. As in, for example, when someone who owns a business or a property and they entrust it to someone else to manage. And so managers, stewards, specifically do not do what they do with things, with things because they own them and are therefore looking out for their interests. Stewards rather do what they do because the owner has entrusted it to them to manage and to use according to the purposes and desires and interests and joys of the owner. And what are the areas of life that fall under this domain? Of, of stewardship? Well, here is the Bible's answer. Absolutely everything. And it's important to know that answer because if you don't, you are going to hear the things the Bible goes on to say about things like the earth and your life and your time and your talents and your treasures, and you are going to think, well, that is just about the goofiest thing I've ever heard. But if you do understand that in the Bible's worldview, there's not one single thing in your life that doesn't fall under the umbrella of stewardship, you might well find yourselves among those believers who find that what the Bible says about stewardship is life-giving for them and for others through them. And so, for example, the first two stories the Bible tells us, the very first two stories the Bible tells us, albeit without using the specific word, tell us to be good stewards of the earth. I'm talking about those two creation stories that begin the Bible. The first one in Genesis 1, where God creates humans, men and women, in God's image, it says, and charges them to have dominion over the earth, a charge which, unfortunately, humans have totally abused by confusing dominion and domination. Dominion isn't about dominating the earth. It's about being assigned a leadership role as managers, stewards of the earth, as we whom Genesis 1 says are created in the image of our creator God, then live our lives on this earth being the image of God's creative love for God's world. And then in the second story, the creation story, the one where God creates a man and a woman and creates them in a garden paradise that God created and God says to them essentially, this is yours to enjoy, 
with me and to care for with me and for me. And so in the Bible's worldview, which probably will sound like one of the goofiest things you've ever heard if you don't stand on the ground of that worldview, I may have a piece of paper saying a particular piece of land is mine. But that is just for the sake of how we interact with others in this life. For ultimately, even if my mortgage is fully paid, there is not a grain of dust on this earth that is ultimately mine. I just get to steward it for a while. Which, if I do faithfully, those to whom it is entrusted after me will find that it has been cared for. That I did well by it, and I did good for more than, did good for more than just myself, but for others too, with it. But biblically speaking, as I mentioned earlier, stewardship is just not about the earth we've been given. It's also about the time on this earth we've been given, the life on this earth we've been given, with the Bible's ground zero understanding being that every single breath I take, one breath at a time, is a gift that I'm given. For there's not one single moment in my life, there's not one single moment in my life that is a gift that I gave to me. So that being the case, asks the biblical steward, what am I doing with the time I've been given to give thanks and praise to the giver, be it in the ways that I take time for worship and, and prayer and devotion and scripture, or also the ways that I give time that's been given to me to do good that is good for more than just me, for I know that the God who says in Testaments old and new says you can't love God without loving your neighbor too. Stewardship is also about the unique gifts and talents and passions and skills we've each been given. Gifts and talents and passions and skills which scripture says everyone in their own unique way has been given. Sometimes people say, no, not me. I have no gifts which I don't know, I think really means I don't have the gifts that he has or the gifts that she has or the gifts that they have, to which Scripture replies exactly. Why would you have those gifts? They have them. You have the gifts you have. To which the steward asks, prays, how might I know my gifts? And how then might I use the gifts I've been given? How could I be the me that I've been created to be? in ways that live my love for God and live God's love for my neighbor. Stewardship, using what we've been given by God, according to the desires and purposes of God, realizing that what we've been given by God is everything. Which includes, Greg and the Stewardship Committee invite me to remind us this time of year, it includes Biblically speaking, the financial resources we like to call our own. In our first reading today, King David is collecting a financial offering. The context is that David had wanted to build a temple for God in Jerusalem. God who in David's time only had a tent in Jerusalem. But the prophet Nathan told David that God didn't want him to do that. That was something he wanted David's son Solomon to do. At which case, David did not say, great, 
That gets me off the hook. I got some money to burn on me. No, no, no. David had the Bible's worldview. And so what he decided he could do and would do is make a very generous offering for the building of the temple and invite others to do the same. Now here's a moment where we get a, we get a glimpse of the David whom God elsewhere in Scripture refers to as a man after God's own heart. For being a giver with a God-formed heart is to do good in ways that aren't just good for the good of me, which we see profoundly here in David here as he makes this extremely generous gift to something he personally will never even lay his eyes on. And then when the offering is collected, David leads the people in prayer a portion of which was our first reading for today, which includes not, not one single mention about the greatness of himself and his kingdom, even though he's remembered as the greatest king Israel ever had. David mentions none of that. He says instead, yours, O Lord, are the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you. Some people, those with a different worldview, take exception. They say, I've worked hard for what I have and for my greatness, to which David, the greatest King Israel ever knew would say, seriously, that's your final answer? Who gave you the ability to work the way you did? Who gave you the talent and the passions that you worked with? And who did give you every single breath of every single moment that you were working? Which he states most clearly of all in that last verse that Chris read. Who am I and what is my people that we should be able to even to make this free will offering? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. That verse was of course no doubt the inspiration for the first verse of the hymn we will soon sing. We give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. Bill Enke from our Stewards Committee talked last week about some mentors that God had given him, including his father who taught him, mentored him by word and by example about living life well and living life joyfully and living life faithfully by living life generously. Are there any in your life whom you would do well to remember and to thank God for? Because they, by word and by example, taught you the value of living life well and living life joyfully and living life faithfully by living life generously. I am rich in that regard. But then Bill went on to mention also being mentored by Scripture and encouraged us to do the same. And in that regard, I count David in that first lesson as one of my stewardship mentors. Giving the way he did and giving for things that, that weren't any way even about anything that he would see. I also count St. Paul in the second lesson among my mentors in Philippians. Context again. Part of Paul's reading for writing, reason for writing Philippians was to say thank you 
for a financial offering that the Philippians had gathered for him. The occasion for the offering is that Paul is in prison, and prisons in those days didn't come with a meal plan. If you had money and you paid for food, if you didn't have money, you hoped and prayed someone would come to your aid. In Paul's case, the Philippian church did. And in the final paragraph of that second reading for today, he thanks them for that with these words. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to it being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have a little, and I know what it is to have plenty. There were apparently times in Paul's life when he had much in terms of material things and plenty of food on the table come mealtime, but there were also times, especially when Jesus got a hold of him and changed his worldview and changed the entire direction of his life, when going where he felt called by God to go and saying what he felt called by God to say and not wanting to be paid for it, Paul did not want anybody to say that he was in this business for the money. And so he had a side gig as a tent maker and he tried to support himself in that way. The result of which is that he also came to know times when his purse was pretty bare and meal times were lived one meal at a time with a few meals missed sometimes. But listen to what he says then. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I've been to churches and visited with Christians in Tanzania, Ethiopia, Honduras, Guatemala, as well in some very impoverished areas in Minneapolis, Seattle, Chicago, and on our southern border. And every single time I meet people who, in terms of the things of this world, had so little, but they received us so generously, hospitably, and worshipped with us so joyfully. They knew one side of the secret Paul is talking about, the secret of being joyful and faithful and content and well even without so many things of this world. It is both inspiring and humbling. And inspired and humbled, I find this text now asking me and maybe asking most of you too, have I learned, have we learned, have you learned the secret of being joyful and faithful and content and well, even when I, when many of us, have so much more than we need. In the history of the church, it's actually been one of the greatest challenges to the church, which historically has found not poverty, but abundance to be the far greater threat to its vitality. Different theories are offered. I'm in the camp whose theory is that abundance makes it easier for us to think that all that we have is all that we have given us. And and since we have all that we have and not feeling any need for God for something like our next meal, it's so easy complacently to drift down a path toward a place where we don't really feel any need for God at all. 
A priest in an impoverished area in Mexico told a pastor friend of mine, there is no one so poor that there is nothing they can give. And there is no one so rich that there is nothing they need. Paul agrees. I've been on both sides of that, he says. And then he says, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's worth noting, it's very worth noting that the way Paul was strengthened in this case was by the Christ who came to him in his needs through his church. And it happened because there were those in that church who knew the secret of what it means to be faithful stewards for him in his need when they had more than they did personally need. The church in Philippi was a great church. It's pretty clearly was Paul's favorite church. But they weren't a pretty, they weren't a perfect church. That's pretty obvious um, in his letter to them too. He had, had, a, had a couple of women who were fighting that he had to address in speaking to Philippians. Gloria Day is certainly not a perfect church either, which I actually regard as one of its strengths. Perfect churches can only comprise perfect people, which means that churches who claim such see no need to be gathered by grace and therefore choose instead inevitably to be gathered by pretension and hypocrisy. We are gathered by grace, we say. For we know that the gospel's word of saving grace is the greatest treasure we have. We are called to be good stewards of that grace, sharing it in word and deed with one another and with the world, the majority of whose headlines and interactions these days are so not grace. We too, we say, are scattered for service. For we do know that we aren't just called to come to church to have our hearts warmed and our deepest needs met and worship and prayer and sacrament and fellowship. We're called too to leave this place to be Christ's church individually and together that others can do the things they can do through Christ who strengthens them. For he came to them in their need through us. Thank you for all that you do in your life because you are Christ's church. Thank you for all that you've generously done and what you will do to make possible the things we do together as Christ's church called Gloria Day, gathered by grace and scattered for service. Amen.